0: All right, so I'm joining this. Uh, my, my my good friend and partner Cortina had to had to skip this one, so I'm going to do it instead. But we're talking about next generation end user services, and it's very close to my heart. So I'm excited to actually get to join you guys for this. Um, and this basically saying is like, you know, one of the things I think is most exciting about a lot of this human computer hybrid is like, what experiences can you create in the world that used to be either cost prohibitive, right, or just impossible to pull off, or you know, you name it, other thing. Um, So maybe we'll start off again, by, if you guys don't mind talking a little bit about kind of your perspective, where you're coming from in terms of the services you're excited about enabling, right? Um, And then we'll kind of take it from there.
1: Um, I'm Bethany. I uh, conduct research at the Stanford Institute for Human-Centered Artificial Intelligence, um, and before that worked at the HCI lab at Stanford. And um, what I am interested in and have been working on for years is... um, what happens when people believe that they're co-creating artificial intelligence and how that changes the interface and the functionality that the people get out of it, and in fact, their own brains. So looking at cognitive development with agents, conversational agents.
2: um, I'm Alan. I'm from Symantec. I'm part of the consumer business units. Uh, We go by the brand Norton and LifeLock. Uh, So we provide digital safety for 50 million of customers globally, uh, and engagement is a big part of our business model. We need to make sure that our customers feel safe and trust uh, in this uh, digital world. So my job is to create a new type of engagement between our live agents and our website and our app. Uh, and then, so that's how we get into this conversational AI, and then using chatbot, using virtual assistant, to figure out the right balance between cost and the return. And uh, mm-hmm. I think Sam actually said it really well: is what is that right return that we're looking for? Uh, and this is something that we spend a lot of time digging into.
3: Great. Um, yeah, hi, my name is Phil Gray, and uh, I'm with a company called Interactions, and. As far as end users go, we're we're touching hundreds of millions towards billions of of end users each year with a combined AI and human in the loop uh, conversational AI system. Uh, So probably the easiest way to get to know us would be to uh, interact with Hyatt. If you call Hyatt, um, you'll get an interactions intelligent assistant virtual reservation agent and it'll help you make a reservation, uh, cancel, confirm those types of things. so, so uh, from our very beginning, we started with a, with a human-in-the-loop process on real-time speech over the telephone, which many people said we were crazy, would never work, and uh, here we are 10 years later.
0: So, I mean, I think, when I think about things that have gone through kind of hardcore hype cycles of the last few years, right, um, you know, self-driving cars come to mind, uh, a few other things like that, but one of the big ones is, is, is chatbots, right, and, and in terms of, you know, people coming out and getting excited about the expectation initially was, you know, within a year and a few million interactions we could do purely digital assistance, would know everything and be perfect and like just magically make the world work to no one wants to use these things, these things are terrible, to like something that is tending in a really interesting direction, right, in a whole bunch of ways. I mean, one, we're, like, talk to me a little bit about what we learned in that cycle so far, right? as I think all people have participated in some de- to some degree, about, practically speaking, where we're going to be in the next few years, and what types of human interactions really are ideal for these kind of uh, human loop-based chat systems or interactions system versus not.
3: I guess I could start. I think one thing that probably people didn't realize is that the world's not static. So, so when you looked at that automation statistic, you, you have digital transformation going on in almost every large enterprise. And what digital transformation is doing is making it easy for consumers to do things that ordinarily would have taken a person natively in the mobile app or the website. So now what ends up happening is you're ending up with a much longer tail of more complex uh, conversations occurring with customer service agents. So, so, and the whole AI system was set up to do the simple stuff, so there was a disconnect happening. And so, so there are there, there still a lot more automation needing to be done, but it was it's much more sophisticated and much harder to get at that.
1: Um, so I think where there hasn't more, there, the hype is very you know, warranted is when you look at basically friend agents. You look at Xiao ICE that has something north of 700 million users. You look at Replica, which has around 10 million users, and you see the rise of agents that aren't pitched as experts or like task-based kind of interactions, where the user actually is the one that's training the agent, and they're doing it with a glad heart. So, you know, there's huge growth there. Um, I think it's pretty interesting.
2: So uh, one thing I think very different now from five, ten years ago, because our company actually is trying to implement chatbot ten years ago, is uh, the whole natural language processing and the intent classifications. I think that, to us, that is a game changer, because first time when we tried to implement chatbot, we couldn't understand what the customer is trying to do. Uh, so there were there was a lot of mistake there, uh, so now that with a lot of the technology that 's on the table that we can actually understand the customers, now the decision that we need to make is do we want to automate this particular action or do we want to leverage our humans uh, and i've been i 've been speaking to a lot of experts uh, and everybody has the different opinions. How we actually do it in our team in our company is we use a very specific we use a outcome-based decisions. Uh, We clearly identify our true north. Uh, In our case, for example, uh, when a customer wants to cancel, our true north is that we want to use the lowest-cost delivery methods to save the customer, and if we cannot save the customer, that's cancel the customers automatically if we have to. So uh, there's the ROI metric is very clear. Uh, so everything is going to become this outcome-based decisions. Uh, if, the, if the chatbot can actually save at a higher rate than a human, we'll use a chatbot. If the chatbot cannot save the customer better than a human, we'll, we'll absolutely transfer to humans. So there's actually a lot of predictive analytics behind the scene, but how, how we believe it is if we can train the chatbot, perform better than the human for a very specific task, we'll do it. If we cannot do it, then we'll obviously leverage the human experts. So can I push you
0: on that for a second? Because I think you know when you think about like uh, the specific engine like that, you think about kind of the curve of performance. It's not like the human has a performance, right? You have like a set of humans with a set of performances. Is there like a is there like a, a confidence interval or a training cost? Something you target for where you want the chatbot to outperform people? Because I assume that the best people will always outperform
2: the chatbot. Uh, absolutely. Absolutely. So uh, right now our chatbot cannot outperform most of the, our, our human agents. Uh, so that's why I think we actually transfer majority of our um, high value customer to agents, because we believe agent can still outperform our chatbots. Uh, but we always, uh, we always test our chatbot with 1% of our traffic, so we know how our chatbot is going to perform and how we can actually train the chatbot and make sure it keeps improving. And at certain points, we believe chatbot is going to outperform the lower Curve of the of the human agents, then that's when we start to put chatbot into the mix and then leverage it as one of the agents and then start to handle some of the some of the uh, cases. Fair enough.
0: So that's kind of an example of a thing. Like obviously you're gonna to need to cancel flow and you can kinda of choose chatbot, human, but like you're gonna have some form of this, right? Um, how do you guys think about like I think you get I mean I obviously have a bias in this, but thing gets me really amped or excited is just like what services could you just not provide before, right? Or could you not never scale that all of a sudden you can? So you were talking about like hotel check-ins. I'd love to hear more about how you think about that. Ideally, in an ideal world, obviously I'd step in and have this amazing concierge who knew me perfectly and would get me exactly what I want. Clearly not scalable. Like, how do you do that?
3: (laughs) Sure, sure. Yeah, and and I think we've had we've had to grow our AI capabilities to really keep pace with what's happening. And, and, and part of, well, I'll, g- I'll give an example in, um, I actually had, had the pleasure of presenting with um, TXU Energy a couple weeks ago, John Desell is the chief customer officer there. And we, we, we've been working with them for a while and we started off doing simple payments and you know, payment processing and still some percentage of customers like to pay their bills over the phone, but as we all know, a lot of people just use auto autopayment or they, or they pay that on, on the web or mobile. So what, what, what was happening is now they have these more sophisticated situations where someone has an inability to, to pay, they can't pay, and now all of a sudden their, elect, their electricity is going to be shut off. So what do you, So there's a negotiation that goes back and forth between an agent and a customer on how much can they pay at which point in time before they, they shut off. No one ever thought that that could have been done by an AI system, but they actually took that on with us and, and through careful modeling and, and deployment uh, we we do a really good job of, of performing you know, performing and getting people to come up with the right payment plan to to keep their electricity on. So so it's moving up the curve.
0: And do they know in that case that it's a, that it's a bot versus? Oh for a, sure, yeah, yeah, yeah. We,
3: yeah. We're we're dealing.
0: It's hard to negotiate with a robot. Yeah, it is.
3: Well, <laughs> actually, the, the, it's it's not in their mind. They're not negotiating. They're trying they're trying to find You know, they're trying to come up with a solution to to get to get this paid so their electricity doesn't get off. So they're pretty actually. They're pretty happy to talk to a bot about yeah. that and not a person to many extent. So, so, um, but we're over the phone on that, on that system, so it's pretty obvious. We're, we're, we're an automated system. We say that up front. Uh, we're very, very conversational, so people can talk just like it's a person, but they generally know. On our text-based applications, it's a little harder to tell um, because text isn't, doesn't have the same voice character. You know, doesn't have the characteristics that immediately know that you're talking to a computer. So um so so in those cases it's a little bit more of b- a and it's more blended on, yeah. on the on the tech side. Yeah.
0: So Bethany, I mean you, you think a lot about kind of some pretty science fiction future stuff. <laughs> <laughs> um and I'm kind of curious, especially when you think about the social uh aspect of these things and you know loneliness, friendship, like how these things relate. Is the idea that like you know, you think about. I just, in an ideal world, you'd have a friend that would know you perfectly and always be available to chat, as opposed to your mom who might have other stuff to do or something. Uh, like, what, what is the? Are you trying to create something? It, do you believe that in the world of this kind of mixed services of the future, there's some, there's a new experience, or is it accelerating existing experiences?
1: Yeah, this is a really interesting area. So there's this entire body of research called like the stimulation versus displacement hypothesis, which is like, are machines displacing human relationships? Are they stimulating more social engagement? And my research has basically found that it very much depends on like the social structure and the loneliness and the amount of change that that particular person is going through. So we're gonna see that people might turn to machines in times of crisis, in times of change, in times of stress, especially in situations where they don't want to feel judged. And you see this already playing out with like, cognitive behavioral therapy bots that like, they, not, they don't quite pass Turing tests, but they're good enough that somebody feels hurt and, in fact, like, sufferers of PTSD are 30% more likely to give their like, accurate diagnosis or their actu- accurate um, symptoms to a bot than to a human. So that said, once they are into the flow of like, accepting that they need help, they wanna go talk to an actual human. So it's kind of this bi-directional flow state that I think, you're already seeing it, it's probably gonna happen more and more as the agents become like a higher fidelity.
0: And so just like taking that idea, right, of these like very interesting social therapy-esque type experiences, I'm kind of curious for you guys, like. Plying it out into like, the commercial world. Like, I'll, give you the, the, again, I'll go back to the hotel one because we talked about it. I think it's a fun experience. I know I've experienced I'm actually curious, how many of you guys have like, checked into a hotel and had like, the concierge text you and ask you if you need anything? Like a reasonable number, right? Um, it's like, when you think about an experience like that, like, are there requests you make to a robot that you like, wouldn't make to a person that actually is what you want? Like, does, is that a freeing experience?
3: Yeah, I, I think people people are more apt to use automation. They, you know, th- I'm, you know, there's a thought of I'm, I'm bugging this person. I, you know, I want to make this request. I think with automation, people are a little bit more free. Um, in those cases, I, you know, I'm, you, you know, the reality is there may be a human providing that service. There may yeah. not be. I mean, oftentimes in my experience, a lot of the, the ones you, you text them and they just don't respond. The ones that don't respond probably are human dri- <laughs> human driven. The ones that respond. Um either, either they spawn you know, sometimes they don't respond correctly. So there's a lot of NLP out there that isn't, isn't all that intelligent and gives you some robotic response back, and you can see that pretty quickly. But I, I think the best systems are ones that blend the two together. When the ro- robot doesn't know what to do, it seamlessly gets a person, and that person's there at scale. Yeah. And that's what companies have had a hard time doing, getting that blend right. Um, it's either either dumb automation with with a really expensive agent, you know, and so the automation and there's a big perceptible difference in in many consumers' minds actually, and, and also the buyers, they know that automation generally has a lower Csat than than the agent, but they also know the agents are expensive. There's variability, there's scale. So so you know, we're in a world now where we we think we can raise the whole thing by blending and getting that human in the loop right. So yeah,
2: and. Um, so I, I totally agree with what Phil just said. And uh, one thing that we did is that we tried to uh, we tried to not just use CSAT to kind of evaluate our performance. Uh, we tried to correlate our CSAT with our loyalty metrics, which is going to be retention with uh, ARPU, average revenue per users, uh, as well as word of mouth. So what that can do is that we can actually see that correlation between the CSAT and the, our actual revenue metrics. Uh, and some really interesting finding that we got is for certain use cases, for certain task, uh, CSAT has no correlation to our revenue metric whatsoever. For example, if it's a very transactional type of uh, actions, uh, you want to update your billing profile, you want to update your account information, uh, yes, web usually has the lowest CSAT. However, it doesn't really uh, drive any lower uh, re- revenue outcome. So that's how we actually want to drive all of those use cases into web It use our lowest cost uh, automation. Versus there's, like, for our industry, uh, one of the f- most popular uh, engagement is when you actually got a virus or when you actually uh, receive a data breach um, uh, notifications. Uh, that's when our members get really vulnerable and they really want to talk to someone. Uh, in-, in the past, between uh, when we only have our web automation and our, uh, and our live agents, our live agent has more than like double the CSAT of our, uh, uh, then our web, web page, and then we actually see a very strong correlation to their retention rate and their average revenue per user, and that's because they're vulnerable, they're looking for some help, and the agent can provide that emotional comfort at that right point of time. Uh, however, now we are introducing a different engagement method, which is going to be chatbot and virtual assistant. We actually see a similar CSAT, uh, when we compare a live agent engagement in the chatbot and the virtual assistant engagement, however, we're still trying to evaluate, trying to correlate their uh, their CSAT with their retention rate and see if that same CSAT is going to drive the same retention rate. If it does, then we're actually going to see a much lower cost to provide that emotional engagement. Uh, <clears throat> as opposed to just a simple email, or as opposed to simple website or app interactions. Yeah. So
0: it's really interesting, because obviously in some ways these worlds are very different, but they're very similar, which is you're basically talking about how to emotionally support and also get things done, right? <laughs> and like kind of the mix of those two, those two outcomes using a, like a hybrid or mixed service. Are there other things you guys have discovered or you're thinking about where like mixed intelligence either surprisingly outperforms or underperforms? You know, pure human interaction, for instance.
1: Yes. <laughs> um, so it it turns out that machines can be much better teachers than the average, and if you design the system right, there's this whole concept in learning science called like learning by teaching, where you know the human gets better. So um, when you start thinking about Bidirectional flows of like intelligence going in, you're actually able to teach the learner and the teacher teaches the system and therefore becomes a better teacher. That's a lot of the <laughs> same word. But um, it, I, I think that there's a, especially when you consider the changing workforce needs and the skills that people are gonna need to develop with all the automation that's coming in, a really interesting human-in-the-loop model um, set of possibilities that emerge around cognitive development.
3: Mm-hmm. I I can describe a little bit of the human in the loop problem that we first took on was the problem of understanding, speech recognition, natural language understanding, and we've all been through it before when you've encountered a system, uh, and a computer's ability to comprehend and understand across a wide user population, across a wide domain, does not match that of a highly skilled person who's really skilled in that language, the culture, and so forth. So... um, What's happened is people built systems that dumbed it down to the level of the recognition and understanding that we had at the date. And then what happens then is the, the user has to change. Yeah. Now the user has to change their pattern of behavior to map the int match to the interface. So what we ended up doing is we put a human in the loop to aid the speech recognition in real time so when it couldn't understand something, maybe there's two speakers talking, maybe they just said something that was out of the vocabulary, maybe they had an accent, all of that, all, all of these error rates... We in real time were able to have a human in the loop recognize and understand that and had a system provide that service to the application. So thereby, right, we were able to create these lifelike, you know human-type conversations by putting human in the loop for speech recognition. We then used that to train our deep neural networks so that the engine, over time, was actually doing a better, better job of understanding so. So in a sense, the rest of the industry was out there teaching us to, to talk like robots. We were teaching the computer te- to, to talk like humans, yeah. using human-in-the-loop data and deep neural networks to, to bootstrap that. So now our level of, of, a, of AI is, is way up relative to the human, who, who, be, who really only handle the edge cases and, and the tagging and training. The other nice thing about that, too, is if you're trying to get human-in-the-loop, we're never buying data. <laughs> you know, if you have to buy data and you're human-in-the-loop, you're, 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 you're in a bad spot. So the data is inherent, inherently part of the process. So,
2: so how how we try to utilize all those technology is that we try to create this seamless transfer between human and machines. So usually. Uh that's, like, I, re- just to push you, that's, like, really hard. It is really so. hard. <laughs> so we are, we are trying to do a very simple... Um, so I think, I think most of the company do a really good job transfer from machine to humans, and usually that's the end of the story, and the human is going to take, uh, take care of the rest. So what we are trying to do is to find use cases for the human to transfer back to machine. Uh, for example, one thing that we, we are trying to do is that... Um, if we're trying to close a deal, uh, I think what human really good at is to convince the customers to buy a certain product. So this is something our machine can never—at least for now—they cannot outperform our humans. They human always have a higher conversion rate when we're trying to uh, convert a prospect. Uh, but once they convince the prospects, a lot of the the uh, the the process, a lot of the operation can actually be handled very well by, uh, by our machine and by our chatbots. So what we are trying to do is that to actually only give the most valuable task. If Within a big task, we start to break it down into many smaller tasks and then only give the most valuable task to human and leverage the human intelligence to handle something that machine cannot handle and then transfer it back to, uh, back to a machine to complete the rest of the routine job. So
0: I'm, act- I'm actually curious, like, all the stuff you guys are talking about is pretty complicated, right? Just in terms of like from an implementation perspective and just going from conversations a little bit earlier today we were talking about like Zendesk and task orientation versus customer centricity to like some of the stuff you're talking about. Like I'm assuming that, I mean, you guys, all the stuff you work on is like completely custom or are there actual software packages out of the box that like allow you or that you're
2: customizing to hand tasks back to machines? Well... Well, actually, I think it's just a lot of integrations from system to system. <laughs> so I think, I think we rely on a lot of our internal engineers to actually help us to piece all those things together. Got it. Um, but you're piping,
0: effectively, platforms together to create that kind exactly. of thing. Yep. Interesting. Yeah,
3: and uh, your point about it being entirely custom, that's definitely where it's been. A lot of, a lot of heavy lifting, a lot of integrating to, to back-end systems, a lot of business rules that are being built in. But we're driving towards how can we make that configurable much more, much more of a configurable process. And we have a lot of research and development now going into that process. So.
1: And the only way that we've been able to do this at an academic institution is by adopting methods like single-shot and zero-shot learning because we are kind of training data poor, and that's been a way that we've been able to forward the systems.
0: Got it. Sounds like these guys have some data.